be back. Thank you for asking me back. This is my third time. Uh, I must say I enjoyed the trip down. Uh, I have Sunday Miss Selendy on the radio. It's a very reflective time coming down. I parked under the trees there and I said, you know, it's a bit windy. I better move. So I parked over here and I looked at the trees and said there was no point moving. <laughs> They'll take the building as well if they come down. But I hear they've been surveyed and they are quite safe. Let me read from Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as they were walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God because of, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the servant, serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree for which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and dust you will return. And now we turn to the New Testament. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judah, Judea and went back once more to Galilee. He's traveling north. Now he had to go through Samaria or Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground, of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. We pray again, shall we? On this Sunday in late January of the year 2024 AD, we pause and we believe by faith and by the witness of your spirit that you are here with us in this uh, we building, in this part of this little country in this very confused and upset world. A very broken world. A world that is increasing in lawlessness and that seems more ready to implode or explode than than in many years. But we take comfort that not so much that we know you, but that you know us this day. And that for many of us, um, you live in us um, by faith, by your spirit. We thank you for your presence. We believe that you speak to us in many ways, primarily through your word. And may we hear you this day. May we leave having known we have heard from you. And as we journey out into our days, may we know deeper and deeper in our hearts that you are with us. Amen. Right. I don't know if any of you have been watching Netflix over the years and have seen the series called The Chosen. Anybody see The Chosen? There's now three series of it, uh, 26 some episodes. It's on Netflix and it came out first in 2017. And can I say it's pretty good? It's pretty remarkable. 
in that it uses the words that Jesus speaks in it, and this is from John chapter 4, and this is the woman at the well. The, the words of Jesus are the words that you will read in your text, and they just use the words. They don't add to it. But it really is, you're experiencing Jesus through the eyes and the encounters he had with people. And this piece in John chapter 4, you should go to Netflix, is pretty, pretty brilliant. And it, it just melts me when I read it. Jesus is seen as a real person, which he is, uh, a very immediate and very intimate. Uh, and Netflix, tried, this chosen, tries to draw that out for us um, a little bit. And if you haven't seen it, I would treat yourself. Uh, get a bag of popcorn and sit down and watch uh, Just try one episode. I think you'll watch it all. Some of the groups that I've been, in church I've gone to have used it in their Bible study. They would read the passage, then they'd watch this, and then they'd, they'd study. Because it really brings a dimension uh, to what it was like for this woman to meet this, this Jesus. So a Samaritan woman came to draw water. That's the story. We all know it. An accidental meeting? No. It's not an accidental meeting that I'm here today or that you were here. You might think, well, I decided I'd come. But by the providence of God, you were here. You're not somewhere else. If you're not here, if you shouldn't be here, where should you be? So this is not a, an accidental meeting. It is part of the providence of God in the life of this woman. Uh, Jesus is going north to Galilee. And most Jews, when they headed north, went around Samaria. They wouldn't go near the place. They would go out around it and come in. Jesus goes straight up through the middle. Uh, Samaritans, of course, we hear, and we'll find out here, uh, she's a Samaritan, so she's part of what the Jews would know as a bastard race, okay? Uh, a long time ago, when, uh, when uh, uh, occupation turned up, a lot of the Jews were taken out of that part of Israel. Uh, foreigners were brought in. They intermarried with the Jews, and so you had a, a hybrid, a bastard race, as the Jews pointed out. And the Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Samaritans were their underclass, uh, to be despised and to thank God I wasn't one. And this is the, so the fact that Jesus speaks to her and also speaks to her as, because she's a woman is a, is a double whammy here. It really is not PC. You understand PC? Everybody understand that word? Politically correct. He has really uh, gone through a glass ceiling here talking to this Samaritan woman. He shouldn't have done it. Uh, what do we learn about her? Um, well, now she is a Samaritan. She comes out. Uh, when no one else is coming out, um, and one wonders why she does that. Um, if you are go on holidays overseas to Spain and such places, you try and do as strenuous things early in the day before it gets hot, uh, because it does get hot, and you're you know mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun. Uh, apologies to those who have that background. Uh, but she comes out at noontime when nobody else is coming out, and there's a reason for that, because she will not bump into people, because is there a problem? Well, there is a problem, isn't there? We find it later on that she's a bit of a, she's got a reputation. Five's husband. She's gone down the aisle five times. And the man she's with right now, she didn't even do that. So... Um, in, a, in another day in Ireland, this would have been a problem. It certainly is a problem here. It's not a problem anymore uh, in our secular Ireland. This is the way it is. Do what you do. Do what you want. But in the context of the time and thing, it is, a, it is pretty serious. This is a pretty serious woman. Lots of conversations had about this woman and what she's got up to. 
Uh, you know, they all, she is n notorious in the, in the thing. And she does probably come out at noon because she won't bump into people who will make her feel uncomfortable and certainly will look down on her. And so there is a problem. And what do we think about her? I wonder, do you want to make an opinion, make a decision about this girl in your mind? What do you think about her? You know? um, could she come here? Could she sit there next to me this morning? You know, five husbands, six men, you know. Is there a problem? It's a question we, ha we, we do have to reflect on a little bit. This little building on the right is called a Shomra, and it's very similar to the one I have at home in, in Dunabate, where I live. It's a little office that I work from. And um, many years ago, when I, when I was first working with Source Baptist, we had no building, so that was my office. And one day a lady came in, and she wasn't um, Irish in background, who say no more, and she said, I have a story to tell you. She was new to us, and she said, I come from a certain background, church-wise, and um, I was married, and I had three children, and uh, I met this man. Uh, I met him at a conference, and I wanted to go away with him. So the leaders of the church, I went and told them my predicament, and they said, you can't, you can't get divorced. You haven't committed adultery. So I went and committed adultery, she said, and uh, I divorced my husband, and I've now come to Ireland to be with him. So she tells me the whole story. And I go, you remind me of the woman at the well. At which point, she went ballistic. Because whatever about five husbands and an extra man, that's six. I've only had two. And there it sat. Before we go any further with this uh, story and this passage of the Bible, we have to talk a little bit about what I call a worldview. Do you understand a worldview? Jeffrey Donaldson of the DUP has a certain worldview of the world and particularly the bit of the world he lives in. And he filters, he puts on his DUP glasses and he filters everything you say that Michelle says to him and of course Michelle turns up and she puts on her nationalist worldview glasses and she looks at him and she listens to him and she filters him. So they have a filter through which they see the world and hear everything. Putin in Russia has a certain filter. He's an imperialist. Uh, we've lost the, the great USSR, I want it back. So Ukraine is first on the list and watch out what will come after that. That's his worldview. We want to get back to the days of old, when we were big and powerful. So as I approach this passage, and as you approach this passage, we presume we come as Christian people. We tend to be a gathered community. Not all of you may be followers of Jesus and know him, but I would say the bulk of you do. So you would, you would have some sort of a Christian worldview that you put on, and you made decisions about this woman as to whether she could sit here and how you deal with her, and if you needed to deal with her at all. And that came from your worldview. Uh, a lovely little book, it's an old book now, um, by a man called James Sire, said, uh, for any of us to be fully conscious, intellectually we must not only be able to detect the worldviews of others, but be aware of our own. Why is it yours, and why, in light of so many opinions, we think it is true? Universe Next Door. So as we approach this passage, you are putting on a set of filters to read it. 
And I am doing the same. Okay, we have to. And let me tell you mine. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints, marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is not just a book of literature. This is not just a novel. This is soul scripture. This is the word of the living God. And God, in his wisdom, has chosen to speak down the centuries through his word. And there's nothing quite magic about it. I mean, the Muslims won't put their Quran on the floor. And they are appalled at us throwing our Bibles on the floor and they're all tattered. The, the Muslims can't understand how we treat the holy book like that. But it's not just intrinsically the word, but it's the dynamic that this is the word of the living God. And so as John 4, this is the word of the living God speaking to us. The, the, the second thing is, therefore, since we have been just justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We are up to our oxters in grace. We are swimming, drowning in grace. Can you hear yourself gasping? When God deals with us, he deals with us not on the basis of what we deserve, but what we need. This, uh, as we sing, is a, is a good God, all right? He is for us. He is not the God of the big stick. He is the God, Rick, whose face shined upon you. Said, so that's my boy. He's leading this morning. You know, this is a God who is for his people. He created us in Genesis 2 for himself because he was, didn't want to be on his own. And we are made in his image. And this God is good in how he deals. Having been judicially acquitted, guilty though set free, we, we are up to our oxters in grace. That is how God deals with it. If you feel judged by this God, that is not God. This is, that's Satan. He accuses the brethren all the time. But Jesus does not. So I approach that passage like that. And the final thing is, in my more brief worldview here, is that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Christianity is fundamentally about a relationship and it's about your heart. It's not about a set of propositions. It's, while doctrine is key, it's not about having the right doctrine. You know, it's not about having the right doctrine. It's about knowing this God and, and knowing him on the level of my heart, not just my head. Us evangelicals are pretty good at having, us Baptists even better, are pretty good at having the right doctrine up here. But getting it down here can often be a problem. And so I approach this passage on the basis of this is God's word. This God is good to us and he is after our heart. He, it is a heart religion. And so, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who is it that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give them will never, indeed, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I'll give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. So back to my Shomra and this lass who, who, who has come in and told me she only has two women, as against six. And I say, you remind me of the, the woman at the well. And she was really thick with me for saying that. She was not happy with me. And I just smiled. I said, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. What did Jesus, what did Jesus say to the woman when he met her at the well? When he found out, when he didn't find out, when he told her what he told her. And th this woman who had an evangelical background, grew up in the church, said, clean up your act. I said, no. That's not what he said to her. What he said to her is, you're a thirsty woman. You're a thirsty woman. That's what I mean. You are a thirsty woman. You have left your husband. You've left your teenage children. You've left your country. And you've followed this man to this country. Why? Why? What is going on? Have you thought about this? And she's looking at me, you know. Thirst. It's a metaphor. She tried to play it literally for a while, like H2O, you know, water, you know, uh, nice and cool. But thirst implies uh, it's an appetite. It's a desire, an eagerness, a hankering, a hunger, a longing, a lust, a passion, a yearning. She is a thirsty woman. This woman in my showroom, this woman at the well, is not a sex addict. She, that's not what it's about here. And Jesus knows that. And that's the way he deals with you. He says, you're a thirsty girl. Anybody ever thought about that? This is a thirsty woman. Look at the length she went to back in that day to try and get a drink that would satisfy her soul. Five times down the aisle. Five divorces. Or maybe four. And now shacked up with some fella. Uh, you know, considered... She has to come out to the well at lunchtime so she won't meet people. That, what's going on? Oh, she's sitting. Oh, that's fine. But why? That is the question. This, folks, is the definition of humanity. The, the, the world we live in, the news we listen to at 6 o'clock, is telling us that humanity is thirsting. It is searching. It is not satisfied. Putin isn't satisfied. Jeffrey isn't satisfied. Michelle isn't satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I struggle with being content with being me. And it applies to you and me as well. We are all searching. Uh, when you sin, if you ever do, maybe you don't, uh, do you know why that sin? Why? Why that sin? Why have you done that again or said that again? That it's doing something for you. There is a dynamic in a play here. So this woman is not unique. And Jesus does not put poor. And he does not say to her, clean up your act. He doesn't give out to her. He just looks at her and he says, you're thirsty. You're thirsty. I see it. He's compassion for her. He doesn't put her down. And he blindsides her by the way he goes about things. Folks, we need, we need eyes to see people and ourselves like this. That everybody is like this. We need to look beneath the surface of the 6 o'clock news and say, what's really going on here? Why is it I cannot trust Jesus right now? Why is it I'm doing what I'm doing? Or why, why is the world out there doing what it's doing? Because it is searching, because it's not satisfied, because it is seeking. And this takes me back to Genesis. And this is why I began with Genesis. He made us for himself. We chose not to journey with him, but to head off and be God of our own lives. And then 
the fall comes. Why does this happen? So the Lord God said to the servant, because you've done this, and he gives the servant what heck, a defeated foe now, a defeated fallen angel. And to the woman, he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, he must have cursed the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles will define your vocation in the office, in the farm, in the school, and yes, you will die. You're going to die. You weren't, but you're now. Now you will. Why did God do this to Satan, to the woman, to the man? That's a key question here in the context of John chapter 4. Um, well, we deserve punishment. You know, we get what we deserve. You know, what goes around comes around, you know. You and I have grown up in what's called a performance-based acceptance, you know. Well, my background was, was, was a Catholic one, and God was happy with me if I had been good. And he was thoroughly fed up with me if I wasn't. I have a neighbor, a lovely neighbor, and I said, when you think of God, Ray, when you think of God looking at you, what expression is on his face? And Ray is in his 50s now. He said, oh, he's very unhappy. I said, why? Well, I, I told him I'd become a priest at 17 and I married my wife. So God is, all these years, unhappy with them. We, we live in a world of performance-based acceptance. And so we look at this and we wonder, what's God up to? Well, you just get what you deserve. He is about to, he had to, you know, he had to work out the punishment. He got out of his book and said, for what you've done, this is what you get. And my comment to that is, no. If this God is good... And if we are made in his image, and if all things work for the good, for those who love him, and if he's after our heart, not just our performance, but our heart, why does this happen? And my understanding of this, and it reads into the woman at the well with her five husbands and now the sixth man, is that we will do anything it takes to make life work to make heaven on earth and the drug addictions of our world all the all the addictions of our world are symptomatic of that we will do what it takes to make life work on our terms and god loves us too much to let that so away with that and so this happens and so we eventually come to the end of our rope. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, Eugene Peterson, anybody ever read his paraphrase? It's only a paraphrase. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Eugene says, blessed are those who come to the end of their rope. Because with less of them, there's more room for God and his rule. And God will do what it takes to bring us to the point where we will trust him. And so we cannot make heaven and earth. God has skewed our world that it will never satisfy. Never. 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 And so this woman turns up and look at the length she's gone to. And Jesus says, do you not see you're a thirsty woman? But I have a water which if you drink of it, you will not thirst again. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water, I will give them uh, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
Somehow Jesus is saying, I am the answer to your search. You have, not by accident you met me as well, you have met the answer to your search. I am the one who will satisfy your thirst. Initially she tries to play, being very literal, you know, um, water, well the well is very deep and you don't have a wee bucket. And then he says, go get your husband. Now why does he do that? Go get your husband. And then it's all out. Well, no, I don't have, you're right, you don't have a husband because you've had five and the man you which you didn't even bother to marry. And she is blown away by this. He gets her attention. He says, cut out this literalism of water and buckets and deeps. Well, we're talking about something much more deeper here. You are a thirsty girl. And the woman in my showroom that day was a thirsty girl. And she was very initially offended when I said this. I smiled. At the lengths this woman has gone to to make life work without God is unbelievable what she did. And she knew better, but it happened. Jesus offers himself to the woman. Now, yeah, that sounds nice. Yes, there is a need for us to be born of the Spirit. Yes, there is a need for us to come to the cross and recognize. Um, anybody see the Band of Brothers? Um, as TV series. There's a very famous, Band of Brothers is about 101st Airborne Division that was billeted in the south of England just before D-Day. And they were doing this training one day at this crossroads. They had to capture this crossroads. crossroads. And so the, the GIs went all around, the, the paratroopers. And this little Englishman came down, sorry, don't be hard on the English. They, they came, he came along on his bicycle and he tried to go through the junction and they were there and he turns and he tries to go to the next junction, and they're there. And he turns again, and eventually he stops, and he puts his hands up. He says, you got me now, Yank. And that's God. That's what God does to get us. He loves us too much. He loves this woman too much. And yes, we need to be born of the Spirit, and we must come to see that we can't save ourselves. And your story is that story. My story is that story. Maybe you became a Christian at six months. I don't know, but for a lot of us, it wasn't quite like that. But God had orchestrated our lives that we came to the point where we gave up and said, I'll trust you. But it, but it doesn't end there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There, there is only one way to, to heaven. I am the way to life. If you want to live eternally, you must deal with Jesus. Jesus and his cross is the, pick, the piece of the puzzle of your life that you know, must know where it goes. If you don't, You've got issues, and our friends do, and our loved ones have. But, but there is a need to live with him and for him, and that's what he's saying here. Now, not the other way around. Not the other way around. That is the key statement. And a lot of us even generally get it wrong. We just, we go for the performance. You know, do what is right. Turn up early, or you'll be seen. Come in late, you know. Get in. Come late. Come late if you're late, and don't race on the road. But that must come from living from a relationship with this Jesus, who we know more and more of his love and his power and his influence in our life. And from that comes, well, coming late is a simple one, but comes the answer to often a lot of what we do in our lives to make life work without him. So the deeper our relationship and the deeper we know this Jesus, the less chaotic is the life we live, as the woman at the well, 
was living as the woman who came into my showroom that day was living. And she, she eventually married this fellow. And she married him civilly. And, and I went to the wedding, I was invited. And once the registrar had married them and had left the building, then I was invited to pray. You know, the, the, the registrar couldn't be in the room if there was anything religious happening. So, there you go. Such is life. You know? Um, and um, I, I think they're fine. I don't know. Um, but we must live with him and for him. And that is, that is the thing for you this morning. It's not about keeping the rules or being squeaky clean here. It's about deepening our relationship with him. And, and, and that's no excuse for just mucking about and being sinful. We, we must be, uh, be rigorous in some ways. But the, the answer to this life that he invites us to live is coming from our relationship with him. Not just reading the Bible and keeping the rules. Remember, the Ten Commandments were given to us to show us we couldn't keep them. They were given to us to show us we couldn't keep them. And they would drive us to trust him. Come to me, uh, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Eugene handles it this way. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavily or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the religious spot in the week, the holy bit. We turn up here. But we have to go from here up and live. So I'm going to pause and give you a second to think about this. Put yourself at the well. You've been running the treadmill, trying to make life work. Some of us, uh, we all struggle with this. We're all weary from the life we've been living, maybe, the choices we've made that we know we shouldn't have made and should have done different things. And we come to the well, because I am the woman at the well. Oh, I am the woman at the well. And we meet Jesus, and he looks at us, and he says, you're thirsty. You're thirsty. And I offer you a drink. This week, is there one thing you could do, just one thing, to pick up on what he says to the woman? and begin to live differently. Can you, can you think of something? It's too easy for me to tell you. <laughs> and it's, we're not so much talking about just, just read your Bible more, okay? We're, we're not at that level now. We're at the level of the heart, of intimacy, connection with Jesus, of fellowship with him. What's one thing you could do this week that would draw you close to the heart of God? Amen.